so tempted to talk about Purim, but you know what? We'll give it one more week. Bez Hashem, next week, we'll talk all about Purim. For now, let's go into the Parsha. Parsha of Truma. Such a geschmack of Parsha. Technical, but geschmack. So enjoyable. Okay. Let's actually start, like we usually do, with the second Pasuk in the, in the Parsha. Yeah, I know usually we start with the first, but this one is just by Yadavra Hashem al-Moshe, Lema Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, so we'll go to the second. Here at the Pasuk, Daber al-Bene Yisrael, Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, speak to the Jewish people, and take, and they should take for me a donation. From any man that's heart desires and motivates him, they shall take the donation. Now, the simple level, it's referring to the person who's giving the donation. And the commandment is that we should take our donation and give the donation. The obvious question is, it's a bad choice of words. The editor should have fixed this. It shouldn't say, speak to the Jewish people, and take from me a a donation. Rather, it should say, and give a donation. So why does the Torah say, why does it say that they should take a truma, which sounds like a, 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 a donation, which sounds like, so to speak, you know, imagine someone coming to you for a, a fundraising for an institution. They say, okay, so take your $100. No, no, no. Give your $100. Not take your $100. So why is the word v'yikhu used to describe the donation that Moshe is supposed to take for the Jewish people for the Mishka? Now, here's the, here's the vart. Here's the idea to answer this on a very simple level. And I think I shared this with you in the past but I'm going to share with you again because it's such a such an important concept. The Gemara says that if a person says this coin should go to charity, this is what it says, quote, Ha'imer, one who says this coin should go to charity, Ba'abishvil, in order that my son should live, or in order that I should gain and I should gain entry to the world to come to Ganeiden, Harezet Sadigomer, that person is considered a, a complete, a completely righteous person. That's what the Gemara says. And on the simple level, the Gemara is telling us that even if a person has ulterior motives for why he's doing the mitzvah of charity, for example, in this case, Nonetheless, it's still considered a righteous thing to do, and it's still considered a mitzvah. The problem, however, with this Gemara and Remart Chabanet, who was the chief rav of Nicholsburg, I believe, he lived about 300 years ago or so, he asked a very simple question. We know that the Gemara says famously that a person should involve himself in learning Torah and doing mitzvahs even shaloy l'shma, not for the purpose, in other words, even with ulterior motives, why? As long as he's not going to use it, you know, to diss people. I'm sorry, I'm going to silence it. As long as he's not going to use it to diss people. 
a, a person should be involved in Torah and mitzvahs, even if even not for the right purpose. Why? Because eventually he'll come to do it for the right purpose. So ask her, Mordechai Benet, you want to tell me a message that if you're involved in a mitzvah and you learn Torah, even if I'm doing it, or tzedakah in that case, even if I'm doing it for my son to live, I'm still considered a righteous person, that I could understand. But to tell me that I'm a completely righteous person, a tzaddik gamor, a completely righteous person, isn't there a higher level of doing the mitzvah of tzedakah without the ulterior motive? Why does the Gemara say, You first, you want to get to the higher level of doing it, lishma without the ulterior motive. Says Ramona Chabanet, a beautiful answer. He says, what we're talking about over here, some, you're sitting at home, and someone comes knocking at the door. You go to the front door, and standing there is a, a man, it's cold outside, he says, I'm sorry to disturb you, my wife is ill. I lost my job. My children are cold. Could you please help me out? I need shoes for my son. I need a coat for my daughter. My wife needs her medicines. At that moment, says the Gemara, this is the story. This is what happened. The fellow in the house, the Balabas, the person who's giving the tzedakah, looks at the pauper in the eye and he says, oh, thank you for coming. My son is sick in bed. We need merits for him. We need a schus for him. Please, and here's where the Gemara comes in. Please take this coin in order that my son should be healed. That's what kind of person we're talking about. The Gemara says, Ha'imer, one who says, who is he saying it to? You know who he's saying it to? He's saying it to the recipient. Because essentially what he's done is he made the, the ani, the poor person who's coming around collecting money, he made him turn from a taker into a giver. He came to the door, he knocked at the door, and he said, I need some money, and he's embarrassed, and he feels bad. He's taking money. And I, says the Gemara, if we were to say to the person, thank you for coming, because I need the schos. My son is sick. We need this kind of merit for this, that, and the other. What we've done is not only given him charity, not only given him the financial support, we've given him the respect that he wants. We've given him his, he can stand up straight and tall. Wow, I'm on the giving end. I'm not on the receiving end. That's why the person is at Sadiq Gomer. Yes, if you give it with no ulterior motive, that's great. But you know what? You know what's an even higher level? Is when you tell the person and you make them feel you're the one that's giving me. You, by taking the stock of, by presenting me with this opportunity, you're the one who's giving me. I'm not the one who's giving, I'm the one who's taking. And that's why the person is considered a completely righteous person. Because he's giving the stock of, and he's not making the, the only feel, the poor person feel like he's taking. According to that, it's very easy to understand the Pasuk of Vigikhu. Hashem is telling Moshe, tell the Jewish people, give your donation. No, no, don't give your donation. Take your donation. Because as there's a fa there was a famous woman in Yerushalayim. 
Her name was Rebetzin Machlis. She passed away a number of years ago. There was a book written about her. They had, they would have, I don't know, today, I remember my wife, actually, she told me, when we lived in Eretz Yisrael, my wife was at the supermarket. I think it was the Yesh supermarket, that's what it's called. And she saw a young man and a young woman there, like, you know, teenagers with shopping carts filled with chickens. And my wife is like, this is strange. This looks like a Yari kind of thing to do. And she said, these are for sure machless kids. So she goes over to them and what do you know? Their last name was Machlis, and they were going shopping for Shabbos. They would have hundreds of they, their their home. They lived in Malo, They live in Malodafno, which is right near Arsameach, and they would have I think a hundred people or more every Suda on Shabbos. So Rebetzin Machlis, Allah Shalom, she asked her daughter or son once, "If you have a hundred dollars, and you give ten dollars to Tzedakah, how much money? How much do you have? How much do you have?" So her, her child said, 90. She said, no, you have 10. Because the $10 that you gave to Tzedakah, that's what you got. The $90 you have left, here today, gone tomorrow, who knows? And if you think about it from a logical perspective, it makes it so simple. So simple. If someone knocks at my door and I give him an $18 check, a $50 check, a $100 check, so what does he have? He could buy a pair of shoes. He could buy some Shabbos food for his family. And after Shabbos, what does he have? Nothing. After the shoes wear out, what does he have? Nothing. What do I have? I have eternity. I have acquired with the $18 that I gave him, which he is going to use to buy himself a shawarma lafa sandwich. Day old bread, obviously, because he's not going to spend too much. He's going to have himself something, right? And you know what I got for that falafel or that shawarma or that burger? I got eternity. It's a bargain. It's a bargain. Says Hashem to Moshe, tell the Jewish people, the Yikhu, they should take for themselves, indulge, indulge yourself by giving the donation because you're the one who's going to be the, the receiver at the end. You get the eternity. You get something that will last forever. You know, I'll tell you the truth. It's just something, this is, it, it, when we think about it, here tonight, Wednesday nights, we're sitting in our homes, we're comfortable, there's no one knocking at the door, right? It makes a lot of sense. And the more when we don't have the challenge of is it right or is it not, the more we, we talk to ourselves and convince ourselves of this thing, which is so simple to us now, the easier it will be that when someone does knock at the door and someone does say, can you help out? The easier it will be for us to say, you know what? You're in fact the one that's giving me. You're the one who's the giver and I'm in fact the taker. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the exercise. Because this is something which we all know. It makes it so simple when you speak it out like that. It's just something which when the Yitzhahara gets involved, yeah, yeah. Um, what did I write here? Story? Okay, fine. Now, that is, yes, Steve. Just a quick question, uh, Rabbi. Is this what Maimonides bases his eight 
levels of, of charity, kindness, or mm -hmm. is that based on that Torah verse? Um, it could be based on that and other Gemaras that we find. Yeah. Yeah, that is a, you know, I'm going to tell you one other thing about Stucco, actually. Because this past um, Shabbos at U City Shul, between Mincha and we talk, you know, we have a little thing, you know, Chaburo, just learning different things. And this past week, we spoke about Stucco. There was one other thing that I, we, the Sefer Hasidim says, you know, in my house, I'm very proud of these two Svarim that I have. These two Svarim, according to the Sefer Hasidim, the Rambam, what Steve was mentioning was, the Rambam mentions eight levels of charity. Higher, the highest level is to give the person a job, then there's giving anonymously when they don't know you, you don't know them, etc. But the Sefer Hasidim says something very interesting. He said there is some atzdaka, charity, that can mistakenly be thought that it's not a charity, but it really is 100% the best charity. What's that? He says if someone has books to sell, if someone has wares to sell, but no one wants to buy it, and you buy it, that's the biggest, that's a big, that's charity, even though it doesn't look like it. So when I was learning in Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael, there were people that would come around. There was one person who was coming around selling Svarim that he put out. I didn't need it. I don't think I ever looked at it, but I bought one. And there was another one that's like, I counted on my fingers. We don't get such opportunities here often. The other one, I there was a guy that looked like he was collecting shamans and other shuls and coming to sell it in yeshiva. But Lamaisa, I found the Benish Chai on Pirkayavis. I actually used it a few times. But that's this is the same. It's sometimes it's something which they think they're giving you some. Oh, you know what? I have a third one actually. No, I have a third one. I met someone on the street in Meisharim, and I bought a safer on Zmiris of Shabbos that his father wrote. I don't know. Don't ask. But anyways. They think that they're giving you a bargain. Hey. No, I did. I have a fourth one. I actually got one in Landau's. If anyone has been in Brooklyn, on Avenue L. Yeah, Avenue L, right past Coney Island. I don't know what street exactly it's on. There's a big school called Landau's. It's like a minion factory. There was a guy there, too. He came to sell me a safer on uh, Trump. You know, the... Um, the sing song for Tzchumish. Anyways, it's something, if it comes your way, grab that opportunity because it doesn't happen often and you'll have a remembrance in the house. Look what I got. This is the this is the ultimate kind of stalker that when they think they're giving us something, we don't need it. But then he says something interesting. He says, if someone could write, let's say as a cipher, as a scribe, but he's just too lazy, then don't give him. Don't give him the stalker because then he's not going to work on him. He has to fight. He, if you can make a living, Zala Zaina, uh, you know, uh, you should make a living. Yeah. I told you that story of Dove Feinstein. Of Dove Feinstein, I told you this, I think, once, that he he was eating in a diner. He used to eat, like, in a pizza shop for breakfast or lunch or something, you know, in Lower East Side. And he was with a student of his. Someone came in collecting money. And if Dove Feinstein told the student, don't give him a penny. It's like, whoa, don't give him a penny? I mean... So afterwards, he said to me, he said, I make sure he has food. I make sure he has what to eat. If you're going to give him money, first of all, he's going to rely on you, and he's only going to use it to buy drugs or alcohol. Don't give it to him. It's not a mitzvah. I'll take care of him. He has his needs. I'll be taken care of. That's what the Sefer Chassidim said. Okay. Okay, let's go to the Aron. The Aron. Okay. So there's a couple things here. A few things here. 803. Okay. 
Let's first talk about, let's first talk about what the Chavetz Chaim says. Okay. So, the Aaron was made out of gold. Gold. Pure gold. Yeah, someone was telling me this morning that somewhere they were trying to prove that it couldn't have been pure gold. You know what? I don't know. I only know what the Torah tells me. The Torah says it should be pure gold. It was pure gold. I never saw it, but I trust it. So it was pure gold. Okay? Now, the measurements, if you tally up the measurements of the Aram and the different boxes that they were, the thickness of the gold that was there, and you tally it up, you figure out how much it weighs. The number that I looked up and someone else was trying to figure it out was about four tons. Four metric tons of weight. Now that's when it's empty. And we know that the luchais were inside. The luchais, both the broken luchais, the broken tablets, and the ones that were the second tablets. You know what those were made out of? It wasn't plastic. Sapphire. Sapphire, I don't know the exact dimension. It's a dispute in the Gemara exactly how big they were. But they're not so light either. And there was mon. And there was mon. I don't know how many ounces of mon there were there. That's true. And there was, according to some opinions, a safer Torah inside. Okay? There was a lot there. According to some opinions, it was on the side. And on top of that were the kruvin, the cherubs. What is mon, please? What is mon? The mon is the, mon is the special food that rained oh, down oh. each okay. day. The mana. Okay, right, the thank mana. you. Right, right. Thank you. So, Leslie, can't hear you. Oh, oh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing we can't hear you? Okay. <laughs> so, if you just think about it, you take a step back, you say, one second. The Kaihanim were carrying this throughout the desert? There were poles. There were poles on the sides of the ark. You can't take it out. And it was there for the Kaihanim to hold them. The answer is, as some many of you are well aware, the ark did not weigh anything. Not only did it not weigh anything, in fact, Oroin noisei es nois of. The Oroin carried those who carried it. So it looked like the Kaihanim were the ones that were holding and, and bearing the burden of the weight of the Holy Ark of the Aron, but in fact, they were the ones who were being carried. They were the ones who were being carried. The Chavetz Chaim says, it says in the verse, Eitz Chaim hi lemachazikim bo. It's a tree of life for those who sustain it or those who grasp hold of it. The Torah is something that doesn't need us we need it. And when we're attached to it, and when we support it, we're the ones who are gaining, we're the ones who are having the weight lifted off of our backs. Or Blazer Gordon was the Rosh Hashiva of the Tells Yeshiva in Lithuania. Tells is in Lithuania, Dan, right? Yes. Okay, Tells in Lithuania. So he was the Rosh Hashiva of Tells in Lithuania. You know all about Tells. 
But this is the Tells in Lithuania, not in Chicago. My grandfather went to the Tells in Lithuania. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. So, so would he? When was Blazer Gordon? Blazer Gordon passed away. Actually, he died in England. There's a fascinating story. What happened? Listen to this story. Blazer Gordon was the Rav of Tells. He became the Shiva. and he went on a trip to England to raise funds. I hope this doesn't distract us too much because I wanted to get back. But this is just a great story. Blazer Gordon, he went to England to collect funds. And when he was there, he met, I think it was two people. I forget who the second person was. He met two people that were, you know, they had originally lived, lived in Tells and they moved to England. One of them was the Shaykhit, the ritual slaughter. And the reason why he left Tells was because he lived in Tells and was the Shaykhid in Tells before Reb Lazer Gordon got there. When Reb Lazer Gordon got there, he called all the Shaykhidim and he wanted to check their knives. And this Shaykhid was insulted. I, I, I've been shechting it for years. You're coming to check my knives? You know, it, and there was some, you know, he just felt awkward or he felt like he was, you know, you know too much... Uh, I don't know exactly if Laser Gordon said something or something or another. And when Laser Gordon came to England, he saw the Shaykhid, oh, Shalom Aleichem. He had no idea that the Shaykhid had tainus and complaints against him. And they started schmoozing. And Laser Gordon was saying how nice it is to see him, how's it going? And the Shaykhid mentioned in passing that he had complaints against Laser Gordon about this that, um, you know, that happened. And if Laser Gordon, he's like, I am so sorry, he apologized profusely, asked him for forgiveness, and the Shaykhid, you know, was willing to forgive him. I believe there was another person had a similar kind of thing that was from Tells that went to England. And Laser Gordon met him, and the same thing happened that the person felt slighted. I forget what, who it was. I'll call upon him. Before Laser Gordon even left England, he died in England. And it was said, I don't know if the Hespedim, they said this in the eulogies, that HaKadosh Baruch, it was his time to go. But Hashem loves Sadiqim and he wants to give them opportunities to get forgiveness in this world. So the Hashkacha had it that he should be traveling to England at that time. So he should be able to meet these people to get forgiveness from them and then pass away after he, he um, completed that, so to speak. I forget some of the details of the story, which will make it a little bit more gishmak, but that's the bottom line. Rev. Lazer Gordon, so before he became the Roshiva and the Rav and Tells, he was learning in Kailo. And his father-in-law, I believe the name was Rabinowitz, his father-in-law was supporting him. His father-in-law was supporting him for one year, for two years, for three years, for four years, for five years, six years, seven years, he kept on going, and he was sitting and learning. And Reb Lazer Gordon's mother-in-law said to Reb Lazer Gordon's father-in-law, you know, shine sights. It's time. We have to, you know, he has to go get a job. We can't keep on supporting him forever. And Reb Lazer Gordon's schwer, his father-in-law said, we can't know who's really supporting whom. I want to support him for a little longer. So they went on for another year, maybe another two years. And the Schwiger is pushing, come on, let's go. He has to get a he has to get a job. 
eventually, after a number of years and back and forth, Reb Lazer Gordon's father-in-law, okay, Reb Lazer, my entire kind, it's time for you to get a job. Reb Lazer Gordon goes and takes a job. Within the year, Reb Lazer Gordon's father-in-law passed away. And that's what he was saying. Who's supporting whom? You think I'm supporting him? No. He's holding me up. It's my support of him that is allowing me to continue living. It's an unbe- I shared this Yada frame with you. Actually, we spoke about this once, and, and, and those in Nusachari maybe heard this at a Cineplex uh, years ago. I think it was a Cineplex. Who has pets here? No? Pet. No pets. Just Steve. Okay, I'm going to tell you interesting Allah. You have dogs or cats? Two golden retrievers. Okay. Dogs. Two dogs. Minnie wants to come visit them. <laughs> the Braskis kids always come over. Eric's kids. Uh, okay. So here's the here's the thing. My kids actually, one of my kids, they look at the, oh that's that kind of breed and that's a mixture between this and that one. Okay, whatever it is. Anyways, so Steve, is an interesting halacha that you may or may not be aware of, and that is that when you're sitting down for breakfast. Who gets to eat first, you or the dogs? The dogs are supposed to be fed first. That's right. You give them first. Now, if it's not their time for meals, you don't have to do that. But for a time, you have to, now. Why? There's many they, reasons why. They Listen can't feed the, themselves. They can't take care of themselves, that's true. That's why some people say it applies to children as well. It applies to children. If you have a two-year-old, just give the two-year-old to eat. But. But okay, but the Yadafrayim says something, and I'm, this is, the Yadafrayim says, the Yadafrayim says, Yadafrayim is a commentary on Shulchan Aruch. He says it's possible, he's coming to explain and answer a bunch of different questions, whatever it may be. Yadafrayim says that it's possible that the reason why, that he says the reason why, excuse me, a person has to feed his animal first is because Hashem created us. So if Hashem created us, doesn't he have an obligation to feed us? He created us. So he should feed us. The answer is that if he created us, he also told us what to do and what not to do. And if we don't listen 100%, and no one could say they listen 100%, if we don't say, if we can't say that we listen 100% to what Hashem said we should do, so we could lose our merit of automatically being supported by Hashem. Look, Adam Arishan, before he sinned with the Eitz Adas, before he ate the fruit, everything was done for him. Hashem had to give him. But then he messed up. Hashem says, okay, you messed up. You got to work for yourself. I don't owe you anything anymore, right? But animals, Hashem created. Hashem has to support them. Says the Yad Ephraim, it could be that what we have, we only earned as a merit because we're taking, in other words, in order for these animals to be fed. So since they're the reason why we have what we have, so therefore they get to eat first. Because they may, may, they may be the source of the merit that we have what we have. I'm not saying that therefore we all have to go out and get pets. But what that means is that if you have a pet, you feed it first. So the bottom line is that's what the Chavetz, that's what Blazer Gordon's father-in-law was saying. We can't know who's supporting who. It could look like one thing, but in the, in the upper worlds, we see that it's really working the other way around. Okay.
let's go on to another point of the Aaron. Interestingly, every time it says uh, that Moshe was commanded to make this, that, and the other, it says, V'osiso, and you, Moshe, shall make. You shall make the shulch on the table for the showbreads. You shall make the menorah, the candelabra. You shall make the altar. You shall make this. But when it comes to the Aaron, it doesn't say, you shall. It says, V'osu, and they shall. Why does it say, and they shall? Because the Aaron Kodesh represents the Torah. It represents the spirituality of the Torah. And Torah is something that we all have a part of. In Davening we say, Give our portion, give us our portion in the Torah. When we are taught the Torah by the angel, we're taught the Torah, we're taught our portion in the Torah. Every single one of us has a portion in the Torah, and we have to just access that. We have to access that. Then, yeah, okay, I'm not going to say the story because it's going to go too off. But the Chavetz Chaim, the Chavetz Chaim, when he was building the Rad and Yeshiva, this is not the story I skipped. I skipped the story about the Nitziv, but this is the story I was, I'm going to say. The Chavetz Chaim, when he was building the Rad and Yeshiva, I actually heard this. You know, there was a Rosh Hashiva. There was a Rosh Hashiva in St. Louis by the name of Rav Shmuel Feibelson. Does anyone remember him? His yeshiva was here for a very short time. Did you ever meet him? Who's yes. Nani? You met him? Yes. Yes. And I had his kids at the uh, academy. I had one or two of his kids. Oh, really? And I taught at the academy. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that was, this is going back in the 60s, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you say yeshiva, do you, I'm sorry, Rabbi. When you say yeshiva, yeah. do you mean the rabbinical college? Yeah. But this is the, there was a, there was a different Gilgal. A different incarnation, a reincarnation of that prior. It was on yeah. Heman, wasn't it? What was, was it? Heman? On, on it Olive, near Heman Park? It, um, I'm not sure. The rabbinical I'm, I'm not sure was, I wonder. Was. Yeah. Where was it? Alan? It was on North and South. Oh. No, no, that was the Seaman Shacharis Joseph. Yeah. yeah, but they, they moved into that building at, at one point also. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was I wasn't here. I don't think he was here for that long. Actually, Dan, Rav Shmuel Feivelson's son-in-law is the current Rosh Hashiva. The, the, the Rav Shmuel Feivelson who lives here, who lived here in St. Louis, his son-in-law is the current Rosh Hashiva in Tel Chicago. Rav Shmuel Yehuda Levine was the son of Rav Chaim. So anyways, Rav Shmuel, he's really, this is not the story, it's not about him. Rav Shmuel Feivelson, who had a yeshiva here, he has a cousin, I think he's still alive in Svas in Eretz Yisrael. His name is also Rav Shmuel Feivelson. And I saw a video of him saying the following story. When he went to Raden with Rabbi Pesach Kron, they took a whole trip to Europe. Um, so they stood there, Rav Shmuel Feivelson said, I think his father told him the story that the Chavetz Chaim was building the yeshiva in Raden. And there was a wealthy Jew who came and said, that he wants to foot the whole bill. He wants to pay for the whole building campaign. And the Chafetz Chaim said to him, I'm sorry, I can't allow that. This yeshiva belongs to Klal Yisrael. 
belongs to everyone. You can't steal the schus of supporting and building the whole building. You could build the Mizrach Vant, the Eastern Wall, where the Rebbeim and the Rosh Hashiva sits. Okay, I'll give you that. But I'm sorry, I can't accept that everyone's going to, can you imagine? Can you imagine having a building campaign? Right? No such thing, right? is the Chafetz Chaim. You know that story they say about the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim one time, he they was at a, the uh, Chafetz Chaim went to be a character witness for somebody. And the lawyer for the person who the Chafetz Chaim was being the character witness for him said, you know, I want you to understand who this person, the Chafetz Chaim is. One time someone came and pickpocketed him and stole his wallet and started running away. The Chafetz Chaim started running after him Say to him, I'm Michael, you, I forgive you, you can have it, enjoy it, it's fine. So the judge looks at the lawyer and says, do you think I'm an idiot? Do you really believe that story? I don't believe that. And the lawyer said, you know, your honor, I don't really believe it. But I can tell you one thing, they don't say that story about you and me. So the Chavetz Chaim, yes, he could turn it down. They say that story about him. I don't think as much as maybe we have to, we know this, but the story is not really being said about people that are uh, having building campaigns. But where was the Chavetz Chaim coming from? They should, they, they, all of Klal Yisrael, we all have a part in it. We all have a part in it. We all have a part in it. Now it's it's not just in supporting the Torah, we all have a portion in Torah. We all have a portion in Torah. We have Torah thoughts, we have novel Torah thoughts, we have Learn whatever we're learning, it's all our portion in Torah. If you have a beautiful 600,000 piece puzzle, everyone has a piece, and the 600,000 piece puzzle, yeah, can you imagine? Forget a thousand, forget 500, 600,000 piece puzzle. You know who could put do a 600,000 piece puzzle? Hashem, right? He does a great job at it too. But, anyways, right? So, you have a 600,000 piece puzzle, we all have a piece in the puzzle. We just have to make sure that our peace is shining as brightly and as, as, as vivid as possible. That's what our job is, but that's the va'asu. That's the va'asu. Another point about the arain is that each of its measurements were half. It was two and a half. It was one and a half by one and a half by two and a half. If you look at the shulchan, it's two by two. Where is it? The Aaron is the only one that has each of its measurements are, are um, fractions. The Shulchan was two Amas by one Amma by one and a half. Right? The Mizbeach was Mizbeach. Um, I forget where it is. But the Mizbeach, the Aaron, the Ark is the only one that's two, that half, half, and half. Each of the measurements, height, width, and length. And the Kliyakar and other Mepharshim explain that is because we can never feel like we're done. You know that story of the rabbi, a new rabbi was hired in town and he's sitting there in the shul and he's learning and he's learning. They're having an event for him and one of the old friends of his comes over, sneaks up on the rabbi and he says, you see that? I knew it. I knew he'd never graduate. He never stopped learning. He never finished what he's supposed to be doing, right? He never get that smicha. Smicha is not like the completion, not the end. Learning never ends. Yosef, 
Yosef, the Mida, the characteristic of Yosef is what beats Esau. That's what we see in, in uh, Sefer Bereshis. Yosef beats Yosef, Esau. Why? Because what does Yosef mean? Yosef means to add, right? Yosef means to add, Yosefah, to add. What does Esau mean? Esau, why did he get the name Esau? Because he was a soy, he was made. When he was born, he was completely mature. He had hair. He was a mature, he had a mature maturity to him. Esau says, I'm done. Gomarti, I finished. I completed my mission. Yosef says, no, you never complete your mission. You keep on going, you keep on going, you keep on going. If Chaim Kanyevsky, who finishes every year, right? He keeps on going. He keeps on doing more and more and more and more. And that's the reason why the arc is two and a half by one and a half by one and a half. There's no such thing as I did what I'm supposed to do. We do more and more and more and more. And now let's say one final thing. The Pasuk says that the golden ark had to be gold on the outside and on the inside. Why did it have to be gold on the outside and on the inside? To teach the following lesson. That any Torah scholar who is not tocho kibaro, which means the inside is like the outside. It's not just a facade. Any Talmud Chacham that doesn't have the inside and the outside matching of gold, he's not considered a Talmud Chacham. Now, what's the problem with that? The Gemara, not the Gemara that talks about. Good, great. So, what's the question, though? What's the problem with that? What I just said—that the lesson is that there's gold on the outside, gold on the inside—and if we're not inside and outside the same, then it's a problem. Meaning, I'm not considered a tamachacham. Any tamachacham that's not like, that's not genuine, is not considered a tamachacham. What is the glaring question that we have to ask on that? From the Pasuk, from the construction of the Aaron, from the construction of the Ark. Yeah. You have to act what's in your, it's a matter of showing your actions on the outside, what's also on the inside. Of- that's, what we're, that's what we're saying. That your person can't just pretend and do the emotions. He has to, he has to internally be a, you know, uh, it can be rotten on the inside. So what's the glaring question? How is the Aaron made? It's gold, wood, gold. Gold, it? wood, gold. Not only is it gold, wood, gold, the inner box of gold had a lip which covered up the wood. So you don't even see the wood. Is there a bigger fake than that? Hiding well, the wood that's inside? A person who pretends to be a Talmud Chacham or a Tzadik Gummer. But that's what the Aaron, the Aaron was made with a hidden wooden compartment. And it's teaching me a lesson that you have to be genuine. That's not mm-hmm. being genuine. That's the opposite of being genuine. I'm hiding the wood. The Teretz is, my friends, very simple and very relevant to all of us. Okay, I'm going to try to go speedy through this. 
Okay? The Gemara says that Ramagamliel, Ramagamliel was the Nasi, he was the prince, he was the Rosh Hashiva of the Yeshiva. And in the beginning of his, of his term, so to speak, it was important for him to um, establish himself as the Nasi. And you can't really have, you know, dissidents within the ranks. He had to assert, he had to something his power. How do you say it? He had to establish himself, I guess, or whatever. It's not the right word that I'm looking for. But anyways, he had to, he had to solidify, solidify or establish, establish something. Okay. I forgot what the synonym is. But anyways, he had to make himself the Rosh Hashiva. So there were three stories that happened um, with Rabbi Yeshua, with his colleague. And he, he was very firm with him. And the rabbis decided, that's it. That's it. We're going to demote him. And he was voted out. And in his place, they put Rabbi Lozer ben who was a young Talmudic scholar. He was actually 18 years old. Right? His beard turned white overnight. It was a whole story. Anyways, we'll leave that for another time. Yeah, that happened to me. Yeah. So I was going to say, his last only 18. <laughs> <laughs> I think Amara says a very interesting thing. Dan. Dan, right. And Dan. <laughs> the different, the, yeah, okay. Dan. So, says, says the Gemara, Rabbi Gamliel had a rule. The entrance exam to get into his yeshiva was you had to be you had to be genuine. And if they had a guard at the door to ascertain if a person is genuine, some of Farshim say, Actually, there was no bechina, there was no test, but there was a guard there, didn't let anyone in. And if a person climbed through the windows, that meant that he was genuine. But anyways, be that as it may, whatever they did, they had the guard there. When Gamliel was demoted, Elizabeth Azariah took away the guard, and the Gemara said they added hundreds of benches to the yeshiva. I don't know how many students there were on each bench, but it was an, a significant amount. And Rabbi Gamliel, who was demoted, that demotion didn't cause that he stayed home moping in bed. He came to Yeshiva to learn. He came as like, just like everyone else. And Rabbi Gamliel saw that there were so many people there. He felt bad. He said, did I really hold back Torah from being learned in the Jewish people? And he felt bad. That night he had a dream. And he was shown barrels that looked healthy on the inside, but were rotten on the, uh, I'm sorry, healthy on the outside, but were rotten on the inside. But the Gemara said that that dream was just to pacify him. But the reality was that they were in fact, they in fact were genuine. So the question is obvious. The question is asked by one of the early Gerud Rebbes. I think it was a Chadush Yarim, but a Kubi was the Imre Yannis. He asked a very simple question. Ramagandil was a smart man. He had a policy. There was a reason for his policy. The reason for his policy is because you're not allowed to teach Torah to a student who's not genuine. You can't teach it to someone who's a who's a, not Torah Kabar, is not inside and outside the same. Why all of a sudden did Magamil feel bad when he saw how many hundreds or thousands of more students joined the yeshiva? He knew he could have had that, that high enrollment. He made a, a, a logical and a rational decision and choice not to have that policy. So why did he all of a sudden feel bad? 
Yes, Vivi. You're muted. Well, I think it was um, the reason why all these people wanted to come. It was it was like a um, it was a prize to go there, and right. not everyone could go there. And mm -hmm. so when it was opened up, it was like you know we're getting some too, and you know it wasn't going to be denied to anyone because you never know who's going to be a, a prophet, and you never know who's going to be a Tom and Holcomb until you know, they're inspired by what they're learning. Okay, excellent, excellent. I'm going to elaborate on what you said in a moment. Dan, was Kachel Tzibor, because they go to Hohannes of Kachel Tzibor, Okay, okay, that's a possible, that's a possible uh, thing, okay, okay. Oh, Dan, okay, fine, great. Let, let's, let's just bring that home. Um... Said the guy Reva, what Mimi was saying. Yes, Rabbi Gamliel had that shita, he had that policy and that opinion. What he underestimated was the power of Torah. When a person immerses himself completely in Torah, they become completely changed. And the proof is from Torah itself. The Gemara, we know we say in Davening, in Tehillim it says that Torah is sweeter than honey. The, the interesting rush and the Chavetz Chaim brings it, it says that if a bee, which is not kosher, if the legs or the bee itself gets stuck in the honey and it disintegrates into the honey, you're allowed to eat all of the honey. Why? Because the honey overpowers it and makes it honey itself. Torah is sweeter than honey. So Rabbi Gamliel underestimated that when a Talmud comes to yeshiva and he immerses himself in Torah, what happens is he becomes a changed person. That's why he felt bad, because he underestimated what could happen with the power and the potency of Torah. And that, my friends, is what the Aaron is telling us. You know why there's wood in the middle? Because we all have a Yetzirah. We're all physical. Wood is something which grows in the ground. It's a physicality, as opposed to gold, which, which, which alludes to the spirituality. We all have that physical. But you know what? All we got to do to make that wood into something holy, all we got to do to make ourselves, to bring ourselves as a Tamar Chacham, to be inside and outside the same, is to do the motions, is to feel it on the inside, is to have that lip which covers the wood, and the wood, the physicality of us, will ultimately become part of that spiritual realm to the Kedusha of the Aron Kaidish. That's why there's wood. That's 100% what's the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be malachim, angels, that are gold inside, outside, and in between. No. We're human beings with human frailties. To be able to make ourselves proper, to make ourselves high and the tochel kabaroi, inner and outer, we can't forget about our physicality, but we make it all pure and all holy by having the outside, doing the motions, having the inside, with the right thoughts and the right intentions, covering it all, and that's what will turn the gold, the wood, into a holy thing. That, my friends, is the, a few thoughts about the Aaron and tzedakah. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you all for joining.